Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willow Walsh, and you're listening to... Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this season. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we bring you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled Never Felt Pressured to Wear It and Hijab is Not Just This Cloth. So today on the show, as per usual, we'll go ahead and play the stories and pause in between each to have a conversation about what the storytellers experience. And Allison, you chose the stories today. What, what made you choose these two? Hmm. Well, one of the stories, the first one we'll hear, is uh, recently posted to our website. It is not a new interview, <laughs> but it took us a while to get around to editing it. So because it's new, it's something that we definitely haven't talked about on the show. And I, I like the pairing because the first, well, both stories have to do with um, thinking about what it means to wear the hijab and the storytellers approach it from two different, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if they approach it from two different points of view, but they have different choices that they make. And so I thought it would be interesting to really listen in on what it means to make a choice like that, to wear hijab, to choose a, you know, a visible exterior identity, which mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot on this show. So I think it will resonate with other conversations we've had. Um, yeah. And so I'm just curious to think about how the two storytellers have approached this decision for themselves in different ways. Yeah. All right, so this first one is titled, Never Felt Pressured to Wear It. When I was younger, I started school at a Islamic private school, um, a new academy, which was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, we learned how to read Quran. We learned how to write Arabic. But at the end of the day, there were a lot of things that we were taught that I don't think are necessarily true. We were taught in school that if a woman did not wear the hijab, that she was going to go straight to hell. My mom doesn't wear a headscarf, and neither does her mother, so my grandma on my mom's side doesn't. And I remember the first day we were told that, all of the girls in the room whose moms didn't wear it started crying. We were screaming, crying. And the, the teachers didn't get why we were crying. They all wore it. And I, I didn't, and I went to my mom about it, and she's, you know, she told me that's not true. So I feel like with this culture, it's very, it's almost what you make of it because you can read the Quran like a thousand times, but you're still going to take the words differently. And you know, it's something that when we go to the mosque to pray, we do wear it out of respect. And when we're visiting parts of the world that where women are expected to wear it, we'll wear it. But it's not an everyday thing, and um, I've never felt pressured to wear it. To wear the hijab would definitely be a um, it would be a huge alteration for me in general. When you wear it, you can't show any skin other than your hands and feet sometimes. So what you're going to do is always wear a long sleeve, whether that's an abaya, which is like the full dress kind of, 
or um, just making sure, you know, it's nothing see-through, nothing tight, so no tight jeans or anything like that. You're going to wear something all the way down your ankles, and then you're going to make sure none of your hair shows. You're not trying to be the center of attention. You're not present in the world for everyone to look at you. You're living for God. I've always kind of felt like it just kind of dulls someone's shine. But at the same time, who's to say that you only shine because your hair is showing and you can wear whatever fancy outfit you want. So there's a lot that I'm mixed up about and maybe that's why I choose not to is because I don't have a firm stand on the issue. It's a very difficult choice to make, but some for some women it's really easy because down their family line, all the women have worn it. And so it's just like, well, it's about time I do. I definitely look up to everyone that I know that does wear the hijab. It's just not, you know, I'm not ready to live a life like that, I guess. And I, I can't always ex get down to the reason why. I don't know if it's just because I really like to do my hair and make it pretty or if I just really enjoy looking not like an Arab woman. But it's something I'm very conscious of. What do people think of when they see me? And sometimes I like that opaque, I don't know what she is, because if I were to wear the hijab, they automatically know I'm, an, I'm a Muslim woman. I don't always like to make my identity so easy for people. I've thought about it a lot, and I think the only thing I can come down to is, it's not a decision I'm ready to make, and it's also not my personality. Because I am the kind of person that definitely likes to be out there and active and while lots of women that wear it are, you know, they're, they're out there protesting, they're out there um, getting positions in, in political fields that I never knew were, were possible. But at the same time, I guess the, sur the, the surroundings that I'm in right now, they don't make it comfortable for me right now. And it's not to say I would be threatened at all. You know, there are women on this campus that do wear the hijab, and I'm pretty sure they're not threatened. But it's one of those things where... It would be changing a lot of who I was to do that. And I'm, I think I'm at a point in life now where I'm always changing myself for what I feel is better, and I don't know if that decision would make me feel better about myself currently. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. Today we are without our intrepid co-host, Reagan Skaggs. So we're wishing her well on an adventure that she's taken across the country to the Grand Canyon. Can't wait to hear about it. Today's stories are both related to women that graduated from Velpo at this point who are thinking about the decision, the choice to wear hijab. So um, this is our first storyteller who has decided at this point that she does not wear hijab. So I, I think it's interesting because the storyteller starts with mentioning that her private grade school really taught that it's religious doctrine that women need to be wearing hijab and if they don't uh i think she says we were taught that they would be going straight to hell but she ends that story with saying that she never felt pressured to wear it so i thought that might be interesting to kind of think through unpack how would you describe like how she's not feeling pressured why why it's not pressured well, I think it's interesting because it's like you'd think she'd feel some pressure based on like how it was contextualized in the classroom. Like if you don't wear it, you'll go to hell. But it sounds like at home, 
she was really given more of a choice to sort of decide if that's how she interpreted the Quran and if she felt like she wanted to wear the hijab based on that. So I don't know. And I think that's interesting. And I think that also sort of goes against how, I don't know, me as like a white atheist progressive lady thinks about it too because I definitely feel like in the past I've sort of fallen in that line of like oh if you're wearing it it's sort of this externalized patriarchal pressure that's forcing Mm. you and so I think this really helps me understand more of like this is a very personal choice and not something that's just pushed onto you yeah and I do think that like within all religious traditions there's a spectrum of ways that people interpret their scriptures from a more rigid, literal, um, to a more flexible, interpretive, or narrative approach. So I am assuming there would be some people of the Muslim faith who would actually feel like it's a requirement. Uh, But this storyteller's family doesn't seem to bring that religious Mm -hmm. interpretation to the scripture in the same way. I, I, just, I just thought it was interesting to note that, like, a particular, your family um, and how they understand the choice to wear hijab or not can be 100% stronger than a school environment yep. um, that's teaching something different. Yeah, so that just really stood out to me that the school did not translate for the storyteller into pressure. And maybe that wouldn't be true of all the kids that went there. But so with that, like kind of in the background, I'm also curious about how we hear the storyteller talking about if she were to wear the hijab, it would be a huge alteration. Like what are the aspects of the choice for her that she's discerning or looking back and forth between yeah so i mean she says like if you choose to wear it like you can't show any skin other than your hands and feet and then you're always going to wear like something longer and sort of like cover you and it sounds like she's not doing that now and so to go from not doing that to start adopting all those practices and considerations for how she looks like that would be a huge shift and so it also reminds me of like as like a queer person like whether you're like outrightly queer presenting like how much you're gonna face in that so like you've talked before about like between you and Liz like you feel more comfortable in like a lot more spaces um and you don't feel like directly seen as a queer person all the time but like I know you've told me that Liz sometimes feels more directly seen as a queer person so I think it's like it's like what are you doing sort of externally to sort of signal that sort of identity and so I think what she's saying right now is she's not wearing the hijab and so she feels like she's not outrightly signaling that she is Muslim and so if she were to wear it then that would be a very clear signal to anybody that she interacts with that she is Muslim. So she sort of, I think she describes it as like leaving a little bit of mystery in there, like mm-hmm. for people to sort of figure her out. And so I think that's sort of where she stands on it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because she, she says at one point, I just really enjoy looking not like an Arab woman, but then later says, I don't want people to automatically know I'm a Muslim woman. And I actually think those <clears throat> things are yeah. separate, but I don't yeah. know if, if she does or if it doesn't necessarily matter because like even if she thinks they're different she knows that the environment that she's in will perceive those two things as the same yeah and she wants to leave more options available to herself besides being 
it definitely sounds like she feels like she'd be pigeonholed Mm-mm. and she doesn't want that pigeonhole yeah. quality. I think it's interesting that you brought up the difference between Liz and I, because usually when I talk about that, it's less about sexuality and more about gender representation, mm, yeah. which I guess it's weird to be speaking for Liz. <laughs> I should not be doing that. But sometimes what I hear Liz say is like that it's, it's not even something Liz is choosing Mm-hmm. It's the it's the external evaluation yeah. mm-hmm. that's that people are determining that Liz is ambiguous and or they they push in the, the gender category of male. So Liz has talked about making fashion choices that actually don't pronounce gender identity in one way or the other because trying to avoid that external mm. judgment. Whereas I think sometimes Liz would enjoy like I, like some presentation that was more audacious, but doesn't feel ready for the external mm-hmm. external judgments that go along with that. So in this case, I feel like the storyteller has more, I don't know, freedom is like the right word, <clears throat> like to determine because it's an it's a outfit that she would put on that then people would evaluate. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know that Liz gets as much choice. Yeah, like it, yeah. The evaluation is already already happening. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's something <clears throat> of that that happens for this storyteller too, in terms of like complexion or facial features mm-hmm. or hair. There might be other things that make her ambiguous racially, ethnically. Mm-hmm. And so she's not going to help people solidify that in one direction. She's going to... Uh, yeah force them to have to confront their own (laughs) awkward hmm who is this person (laughs) because well I mean I think you're right I mean I think especially if she reads more like an Arab woman like she's still going to get some of that stuff like that like is she Muslim is she like because my best friend is like Arab and so like that's how she'd describe herself but she's not Muslim but it's like even though she would never wear a hijab or something like that, it's like you still sort of get all of that like pushed mm-hmm. onto you. Mm-hmm. Like I know people like said terrible things to her in high school. So it's like even if you're not wearing those things, you're still sort of getting read that yeah. way. Yeah. But I think like you're right. Like maybe if you add the hijab into that, it's like that would push people's like view of you even further. I would guess there'd also be a specific interpretation of the quality of your islamic faith too Mm -hmm. because like even you said and i know i felt this way before i had started interviewing women about hijab that there's this sense that it's fundamentalism like it's a religious fundamentalism that forces that on women and so then you're not just muslim you're a certain kind of muslim Mm -hmm. and um that of course has all sorts of connotations in american society yeah Yeah, I also feel her, in addition, just thinking about personality, she uses that phrase, I've always thought it would dull someone's Mm. shine. And I think that's a a very American value of personal expression and feeling like somehow the hijab would diminish um, the range of personal expression that this storyteller would have, which our second story for today pushes back on that a little bit so I think that will be interesting to think about Mm -hmm. but I I do really love that this storyteller like even as she says that 
uh, I've always kind of felt like it just kind of dulls someone's shine. She immediately is like, but at the same time, like, who's to say yeah. <laughs> that you only shine because your hair is showing? Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate the way in which she doesn't try to universalize her own decision and, and even names that like her own, I mean, she doesn't feel an indecisive and yet she continually talks about like maybe that's why I choose because I don't have a firm stand I don't know like I just am really interested in her openness um like she hasn't shut down around any of it she's just more claiming the actual decision she's made up to this point um Mm -hmm. that feels pretty rare to me and people like generally you're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, and Willow Walsh. And this is uh, at WVLPLP 103.1 FM. And you are listening to us live or um, online, WVLP.org, where we stream live as well. So our stories today both have to do with women who do or don't wear the hijab, And we're discussing our first story, which is from a storyteller who's decided not to wear it. Uh, Another question I had for you, Willow, is why the storyteller says wearing the hijab would be a difficult choice to make, but she sees it as easy for others. Is there any more to unpack there? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point. Like, maybe the way that she views wearing it it's more complicated for her as she sort of goes back and forth like thinking about like you know if I'm wearing this is somebody going to see me this way or her feeling that like she's not you know super sure or it feels like she is sure that like you can be Muslim and not wear the hijab because of her interpretation of the Quran but I think like maybe she's sort of naming the fact that for others if maybe their interpretation of the Quran is more straightforward and it would include wearing a hijab then it might be more of an easier choice because you sort of feel like you align on that and so maybe I sort of see her in that space of, of she's not totally sure like She's not convinced that not wearing a hijab means she's less Muslim or something of that nature or of, of how it expresses her faith. And so I think that's maybe why it maybe is a little more difficult for her because it's not, she doesn't equate wearing the hijab at like one-to-one for her faith in Islam. And so I think for others it would be easier. But she is, she's sort of occupying this space and so she's sort of questioning it and thinking about like what does it mean to wear it and and how does it how does it help you present and have people interpret you wearing this. So I think she has a lot more questions on it. And also she hasn't worn it up until this point. Yeah. And so that would be a little bit harder for her too. Although I will say she does mention early on that when we go to the mosque or we visit That's parts true. of the world where women are expected to wear it, yeah. we'll wear it. So she does have some sense of what it feels like to wear it yeah. and look in the mirror and see herself in it. So that's interesting. I'm also noticing family stuff here again. So for some women, it's really easy because down their family line, all the women have worn it. And so then they just say, well, it's time for me. So that family piece comes back in as maybe like a stronger deciding factor Mm -hmm. than other places, communities like the mosque, etc., 
I feel like for me, and I don't know that this is a typical American thing, but like, I don't make choices in line (laughs) with like family. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Like I grew up feeling like the odd person out in my family. And I feel like that's shared by my at least my mother, if not also my father, like it's something we sort of joke about and tease. Like I, so I, the sense of family being a cultural force that's so strong is, um, different than what, than how I relate to family. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's interesting to consider. And then the storyteller brings up comfortable. Okay. So I'm going to read this quote. Oh, right. So I guess the surroundings that I'm in right now, they don't make it comfortable for me. Mm. And it's not to say I would be threatened at all. You know, there are women on this campus that do wear the hijab, and I'm pretty sure they're not threatened. But it's one of those things where it would be changing a lot of who I was to do that. So this is still that question about why it would be such a huge alteration for her to now start wearing the hijab. And I think I was pulling this part of her story out because I was noticing this idea of surroundings. And so maybe we could kind of think through, I think we've started already articulating a little bit, but if we think about it in terms of campus, Mm -hmm. Valparaiso University Mm -hmm. campus culture, I wonder what that adds to an element of decision Mm -hmm. about this that actually has nothing to do in that case with family then. I don't, she's not talking about family at that point. I mean, this is a predominantly white Christian city, and I think that translates for the most part to the university, despite what people in Valparaiso City seem to think. (laughs) I think that still translates to the university. And so I think it would make it harder because you have to sort of be cognizant of, you know, the context that you're in and how people see you. And so if you know that, you know, more conservative-leading Christian white people sort of hold the mentality of, like, I don't know, Islamophobia, like, because you were to wear the hijab, you know, people would see you in a certain light or, or assume that you think certain things or, I don't know, just attribute these sort of characteristics to you just because you're wearing the hijab. And so I think that would make it harder for her, you know, going from not wearing it to wearing it, she would maybe notice those things. Um, But then she also mentions that there are women on campus Mm -hmm. who wear the hijab, and she says, I'm pretty sure they're not threatened. But yeah, but I think it's just like, it would be, like, think if you were in like a predominantly like Muslim faith community, I think it would be a lot easier to sort of like go in between deciding whether or not to wear the hijab, because that would be um, more of like the the internal pressures that you're sort of fighting for yourself. But you wouldn't really have to think about externally, you know, if you would be threatened. But I think here in Valparaiso, you have to sort of think about how people are seeing you. Yeah. And I wonder, since she diminishes the sense of threat, I mean, I guess I'm thinking that's probably physical or like verbal assault or something like that. She's diminishing that. But I did the part of the story I didn't read right before that is being out and active. And, and then she does that, that flip that she does. Well, Oh, I mean, there's a lot of women who wear hijab who are actually out there protesting and in positions in political fields. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think she might be also, probably correctly identifying that 
peers on campus, maybe even faculty and staff would assume that if you are a hijab wearing Muslim women, there are places that you're not going to go. And that might be leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about Maybe there's associations, at least in the storyteller's mind, about... And I, yeah, I would guess that this would be confirmed by American bias, at least, that there's something about wearing hijab that means you're passive, like diminutive, Mm -hmm. and so like you can't Mm -hmm. be a leader or wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to be a leader. And I think there's something bold about her sense of herself that that feels very, like, I'm not... I'm not a diminutive person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't want people reading me that way and then potentially not inviting me into spaces that could be social, that could be leadership, that could be organizational, where I don't get to shine mm-hmm. because assumptions are being made about me. I do think it. The way she says there are women on this campus that do wear the hijab, and I'm pretty sure they're not threatened. It does make me feel like she's also not necessarily friends with the mm-hmm. the, the Muslim students who are wearing yeah. hijab. So she has different social circles, too. So some of her thinking about this could also be internalized Islamophobia. Um, and, I mean, not as a judgment against her, but just as a fact that, mm-hmm. you know, we do absorb Uh, the way we're conditioned and so even if like in our case we identify as queer that doesn't mean that we haven't had internalized phobia that we've addressed and conquered or continue to have Mm -hmm. internalized homophobia that might be brought up by context in which we start to feel unsafe or we start to feel like we're going to be evaluated in ways that take away opportunities Mm -hmm. so yeah so now that's like complete uh, conjecture. It's not something I think we're getting from the storyteller yeah. exactly, but it might be important to think think about think about that too. I know one question I had that I'm not asking us to speculate on is um, this might say more about me actually. Is I, I wondered how religious she felt and how religious her family was. Like mm. I'm thinking in the context of Christianity like I was raised going to church every Sunday and it wasn't just a go to service it was go to service go to Sunday school I was in the private Lutheran school as well my parents and my grandparents my mom's parents were very active in the church so like they had roles on different committees it was not a marginal part of our life it was a central part of our life And I find myself making assumptions that this family is potentially more secular. They go to mosque, it sounds like, but um, I don't know if it would be like the equivalent of every Sunday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm guessing, but not sure. They don't pray five times a day. Uh, So I think that could, or I, I don't know if that's a part of her story, or maybe it's just interesting for me to name that I associate a choice to wear hijab with being a like actively engaged religious mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a really good point because I think my brain also goes there. But I don't know. This is WVLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. 
We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting this station by visiting the website wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax-deductible, and we here at Listen Up would sure appreciate it. And today we are two hosts, one host down, as Reagan Skaggs is out on some adventures. I'm here with Willa Walsh, and today on Listen Up, we have been discussing women who do or don't wear hijab. The second storyteller is a woman who has decided to wear hijab. And did you want to say anything else about this story before we... Yeah, this one is titled, Hijab is Not Just This Cloth. Well, the term hijabi, I think, originated from within the Muslim hijabi community. Obviously, it's like combined with like the English E. I think it's just like it's just like an easy slang term. I don't think people outside of the hijabi or Muslim community are very familiar with it, that they would use it in a way that'd be like offensive at all. Like, I think I'd actually be impressed if somebody was like, oh, so you're a hijabi? I'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know the terminology. There's actually a really distinct Muslim American culture, and it's very interesting because I think there's a lot of people who come from either the Middle East or like Southeast Asia, like these predominantly Muslim areas who are first generation Americans like myself. Our parents raise us in a way that we identify most importantly with our Muslim um, religion more than with our culture. And so there's, it's very interesting. Um, you know how like there's like memes and like, you know, those like stuff Hispanics say, you know, like those videos that they had, like all these cultural things that arise, like we have all these Muslim ones too. And so I think that's where like hijabi comes from. Um, I wear the hijab for multiple reasons. Um, I think the most common one that people think is like, oh, her dad forced her or to protect her from like the lustful gazes of man and like all this dark stuff. If I had to answer, um, there are several reasons. The biggest one is that I'm a Muslim woman and I believe that it's a commandment of God to dress modestly. And hijab really, it's actually even extends to your character. It's not just an external thing. When we look in the mirror, Muslims, we say, um, it's a prayer. It says, may God beautify my inner character and manners just as he has beautified my outer physical appearance. And so the fact of the matter is that God has created us and we believe that God has created us perfectly. And my concern is to focus on the inside and to make my inside beautiful. There's definitely like a rising like Muslim fashionista movement. And I love it. My mom, she wears the long dress, the jilbab. That's part of her culture where she came from in Egypt. But I grew up in America and like, I wear jeans, <laughs> you know, and like, and I wanna make sure that that works. It's still modest. So I'll wear something long with it. Modesty and fashion totally can coexist. They totally can. And I think that's what the, why these fashion designers are really, really unique. So like one thing that's really sweeping the Muslim fashion world right now is like the idea of long sleeve maxi dresses. And it's perfect because like there's maxi dresses are great. Usually they're not long sleeve though. And so um, like we'll have to layer. That's a big thing hijabis have to do. We have to layer things all the time. So like hoodies are great, but if you don't want to wear them with like sweatpants, like let's say I want to wear them with like regular jeans, I'd probably want it to be a little longer. So like I've seen different companies that they make long sweatshirts or they'll make hijabi workout gear and stuff. Like, you know, it's really awesome because it's something that I, I can't work, up, work out on a jabab and I don't want to wear a jabab because I mean, it's, it's perfectly modest, but it's not my style. And I love that I can have that style like and I can be creative with my style while also like observing those lines of modesty. And there definitely have been um, like tensions between the two because um, it's hard to like, you know, when you're, 
like skinny jeans are really in, but sometimes they're not always that modest, you know, or by some standards, at least some people's standards. That's the thing though, like each person is free to make their own choice and like we're all trying to do our best. It's not like it's like, oh, she's not modest, like, <laughs> or like she's not up to par. Like it's not, that's not like that. It shouldn't be like that. I think it's a matter of like, you know, if you're wearing something that's really tight, that really accentuates like your curves, for example, like that's pretty hot. Like, you know, you want to, um, that's the kind of thing that you want to be weary of. So it's not a matter of like just attracting attention of like in general, because like I'm a member of society, like I'm gonna be here, I'm not gonna hide myself from people at all. I'll be in the forefront, like I have no problem with that at all. It's just a matter of um, I wanna be in the forefront because of something that I've done or something that I've come up with, uh, not because of how I look. And like we obsess over these things and it can really be unhealthy that like we do care so much about our appearance and it can consume us. Like you can care so much about how you look that you're not there, that you're not like in the living in the moment, you know? When we wear the hijab, that's what we're trying to prevent. And like, that's why I'm saying hijab is not just this cloth. It's a lot more. It's a lot more on the outside and on the inside as well. Um, it's like a whole thought process, honestly. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm Allison Schutte here with Willow Walsh. And today we have two stories um, from women who've now graduated from Valparaiso University, uh, both of whom had choices to make about whether to wear hijab or not. And this storyteller has fully embraced it. So it'll be interesting to think about this these two stories in, in relationship to each other too. But we certainly want to start with giving this speaker her due. <laughs> Hijabi, I don't know that term is still in circulation. Like, I think if I'm guessing, I have I didn't look up when we did this interview, but I'm guessing it's like seven years old, uh, maybe 10 even. What does hijabi mean according to the storyteller? Yeah, I mean, so she says it's like a term that's um, like fully Arabic and it comes from sort of the culture um, when she was talking about like when you're, I don't know, like online and it's like stuff Hispanics say, it's sort of like the same thing, but for hijabi culture. And so it's the sort of like term that was created within that culture. Yeah, like it has a pop culture kind of connotation to it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something uh-huh. like that. Like something more modern type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe, maybe distinctly American, I don't know, or distinctly Western. Yeah, that's true. We don't know. And then she goes on to talk about how for her family, we identify most importantly with our Muslim religion more than with our culture. And that's a little bit ambiguous, at least in the, uh, this, the way that we've edited the story here. I'm wondering if when, when she says culture, are you hearing that as like her family's national origin culture? Or are you hearing that as American culture? Or maybe it doesn't matter. Mm. Maybe it's... Yeah, I mean, my brain went right to national origin culture. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, food and, like, practices type of thing. Like, that's where my brain went with it. So what do you think it it means for her? And maybe now we're going, this might be hard. This might be interpretive already. (laughs) We might be bringing our own interpretations to it. But uh, I think our parents had raised us in a way that we identify most importantly with our Muslim religion rather than with our culture. What do you think she's underscoring there? Hmm. I think, like, it sounds like her parents made it more of a priority to sort of bind the family in this sort of, like, mentality around, um, like, Islamic faith versus, like, I don't know, like, cultural practices. So 
I, I mean, I guess we don't get a whole lot of specifics there, so I'm not totally sure, but it sounds like that faith was really important to her parents, and so that's something that they were really brought up around. And it makes me wonder, like, is it sort of a similar situation to how you were brought up, in which you're like, mm-hmm. your parents are really ingrained in the church, and that was something that you did really frequently, and it was a very central part of your experience? And so is, is that what she's talking about in this way when she says faith? Or is she bringing, like, the Muslim faith into their primary experience versus other things which make me think, like, other cultural things which maybe are, like, food or family practices or other traditions that can sort of, you know, be something outside of the faith, but it sounds like it's more faith-based here. Yeah, it's also interesting to consider if she meant American culture as opposed to she listed Middle Eastern or, like, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. She doesn't tell us. Actually, we do know. Do we learn that her mother at least is Egyptian? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Her mother is Egyptian. We we learn that later. She talks about herself as first-generation American. Maybe the rest of the story bears this out. If the family is emphasizing Muslim religion rather than culture, and maybe then it could be seen as both Egyptian and American. Mm Mm-hmm. So then her mother, for example, who continues to wear the jobab, whereas the daughter, the American daughter, can wear skinny jeans, but she'll have other ways of making that modest Mm -hmm. in accordance with the hijab. What's important to her parents is that she's hijabi, not that she's traditionally dressed in Egyptian hijab, Mm -hmm. like the actual interpretation of how to present hijab Mm -hmm. can be influenced by American culture or international culture, as I'm I'm sure the Muslim fashionista movement is much broader than than America. (laughs) I would guess it would be coming to America last. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's interesting to think about religion as independent of culture. Whereas I do think our first storyteller, maybe they were flipped for her, where culture and being American uh, is much more central for her than being Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. So we have two different family scenarios here, uh, which I think lines up with at least what the first storyteller was hazarding, like that for women whose mothers and grandmothers are wearing hijab that it's a more also natural decision for you because that's this really faith-based identity that's coming to fruition as Mm -hmm. opposed to an american identity coming to fruition Mm -hmm. like with my friend i remember like because i would go over to her house like every single day (laughs) in school and like i think like hers was definitely more so like towards like the, the the first storyteller and then it's like religion was like never anything that was really around like she didn't eat pork and her funny like citation for that was that when she would go to jordan you would watch like american cooking channels and they would bleep like words like pork chop or things like that and so she just decided not to eat it until she was 21 but it's like you would go over there and her mom would be cooking this food all the time which is so funny because she's this like red-haired irish lady um but like for her it was like very she felt closer to like her dad who's still in jordan like when she would eat like food like that or you know like that it was very much like cultural for her but it was never like faith-based or anything like that 
So I wonder if she's she's sort yeah. of citing that sort of similarity. Yeah. For this storyteller, what are the reasons she gives for wearing the hijab? Well, she says, like, essentially it's like she wants people to see the things that she can accomplish and and um, sort of, like, maybe leadership qualities or ideas or, I don't know, things that she can sort of cultivate within herself. And she wants that to be sort of the central thing that people associate with her versus her outer appearance. But what I think is so interesting when I was listening to this story is that based on our conversation with the first storyteller, we we talked about how wearing a hijab in certain contexts, like, people can make assumptions about you for wearing that. And so what I think is so interesting in this storyteller is that she says that by wearing the hijab, people can see more of what's within her and not necessarily concentrate Mm -hmm. on the outer appearance. But if we think about it through the lens of the first storyteller, Mm -hmm. people (laughs) like in Valparaiso might be seeing her in the hijab and make all of these assumptions about her. And, you know, it's like, we don't know, are they, will they stop at the outer assumptions of her hijab or will they, you know, ignore her outer appearance and hear her for what's, you know, what she's saying and what she's doing? I I don't know. And so I think it would be so interesting to have these two storytellers have a conversation. I would would love to hear that because I think we don't know. And I think maybe if it was more of like a predominantly like Muslim like community here, I think maybe that would happen more for this second storyteller in terms of people seeing past the physical and hearing her ideas. But I wonder, I don't know, I, I would love to hear the rest of this interview, like it, like how that, how that works out in practice, like if people are able to sort of like not see the hijab and just listen to her, and if that works out. Some of the assumptions we talked about people making, this storyteller would be comfortable with mm. because one of her reasons for wearing the hijab is obedience to God. Mm-hmm. So that sense of now, whether that goes to fundamentalism, I think this storyteller would likely be uncomfortable with that because she says one reason she does not wear the hijab is because she's being forced to. Mm-hmm. Like that has nothing, this is not about her dad, it's not about patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. So she is aware that that's an assumption that's going to be made. And I, so I think she would squarely reject that. Mm-hmm. But she's, she would be completely happy with people thinking of her as um, intensely religious. Or like, yeah, like having her faith as central and defining for her. And maybe she assumes that she can challenge those other conceptions about like, oh, well, then you must be meek and mild Mm -hmm. by being a leader and forcing people to account for, no, I'm going to be out. I'm going to be in front. And that's going to teach you something about your own assumptions about what hijab means. And so you can leave your assumptions at the door (laughs) because that has nothing to do with my assumptions about why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I did think it was interesting, though, because later she does seem to indicate that the hijab is supposed to downplay sexuality in some way. Um, She talks about modesty, and um, even if she's wearing uh, skinny jeans, that could tell us when the interview happened probably, right? (laughs) When we're skinny skinny jeans in. Like, you don't want to accentuate your curves. So I, I do think there's this additional thing about sexuality and modesty that 
most American culture, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. Because I think there's so many different American cultures when it comes yeah. to modesty and like what women wear and how visible they can make their bodies through their clothes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you, like, so if you contrast us to one culture, we would look very, uh, I don't know, skimpy or we would be very like sexual, but you compare us to another culture and we probably would look more <laughs> modest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And being in the Midwest, like it kind of goes either way. Like I know that I was raised with a certain kind of modesty, but there's lots of people, lots of women in the Midwest who are not afraid of showing the skin. I, I don't know. Like that, maybe that's a weird way of saying it. Um, who feel very comfortable in their bodies and, and being public in bodies. But I do think that's a, a piece of this for her. Or, or maybe that goes back to like you, the way she, in which she doesn't want to be thought of first by physical appearance, mm -hmm. um, but really to be appreciated for what she's bringing forward in her character. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm hesitating. It's something <laughs> about like, well, does that mean for non-Muslim women that we are not known first for our character? And that would be mm -hmm. a part of that would be a part of being in a patriarchal society mm -hmm. insofar as that is true context. <laughs> what do you make of the um, Muslim fashionista movement that she talks about? Yeah, well, I remember wanting to do this interview because of what at that time seemed to me this rise in Muslim fashion and just really appreciating qualities of it. I actually like remember thinking, oh, I won't be surprised if like New York's runways start to bring in co-opt basically features of hijab mm. or other aspects of the fashion. I was thinking about the headscarf in particular, you know, like when we start to orientalize or exoticize oh, yeah, the yeah. other, uh -huh. it just seemed like we were at a time where that could be happening. And so I was, I remember really wanting to interview this, this woman because of how I saw her wearing fashion, which is interesting because then I was looking at her exterior, exterior appearance. Uh -huh. Um, wasn't the shape of her body. It was like the style of her clothes, which she seems fine. That doesn't seem to get in the way of modesty for her. Yeah. So I think, and I don't, I don't, I have no idea where it's at right now. I would assume it's going on in some form or fashion, but there's a lot of like beautiful colors and prints and ma like materials that I think are being used in creating hijabi clothes or maybe even joe bobs like where it's not that fundamentalist black you know like mm -hmm. when american media really like wants yeah. to show us what like fundamentalist women are forced to wear mm -hmm. um it's very dour and like yeah there's no sense of i don't know personality or expressiveness in the clothing so i think that's what's going on here is just um as and again, I, I don't think that Muslim fashion probably started in America just because we're not predominantly Muslim. And I'm, so I'm assuming it's starting elsewhere and then coming here. But as American women embrace being hijabi, like wanting to have more ways of expressing 
flair mm-hmm. uh, while still maintaining the religious values that they associate and appreciate about hijab. Yeah. So I, I think that that's what is going on there. I remember really trying to push this storyteller a little bit like okay you say you don't want to pay attention to your appearance but I know right yeah there is like that rubbing up there um and I think it she she refused to like see it as a contradiction Mm. so I appreciate that and I want to like then live into and understand that for her so I think it really does come back to this concept of modesty like nothing about fashion for her contradicts modesty Mm. which is the length of the sleeves and the length of the to the ankles um and making sure that if you are wearing skinny jeans that's not apparent like from the I don't know like from the the waist to the to the knees or something Mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. there's something she mentions curvy in particular so um, and that is the part of the body we tend to sexualize, right? Like the, from the neck to the <laughs> knees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think for her in the end, no, I know for her in the end because of how insistent she was that modesty and, and self-expression are not contradictory. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that when she was talking about it. Like, is there something more substantial to the sort of like modesty fashion movement that's less superficial than maybe like what we would see on runways or something where it's just like making a new thing like if it's if there's like a like if there's more of a sense of like not just you know here are the beautiful clothes and the new things we're doing but also like here's the sort of like ethos and mentality behind it like if there's something more well-rounded about like the fashionista movement if modest clothes, if it's like, you know, you also have to talk about like your intent is not to sort of make yourself more flashy and the center of attention, as she says, but it's also like, it's like being able to do self-expression, but also, you know, in these like fun and creative ways, but not with the intent to draw up, you know, attention to your appearance. Yeah, I don't, So it I, makes me think it's more <laughs> well-rounded. I don't know. <laughs> and that's probably different person to person hijabi to hijabi i'm i'm guessing that there are some hijabi that would be wanting that attention like yeah yeah especially if you're a designer i just feel like part of the power of fashion for you is attention maybe not in a an ego driven way as much as like like this is beauty so if we want to celebrate beauty Mm -hmm. then yeah our attention is drawn to beautiful things Mm -hmm. so maybe attention is a as in a kind of appreciation of color texture um something vital about life and joy as opposed to oh look at me 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 as like an ego kind of thing but I would guess that for hijabis, that can get as complicated as it can for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. I think I forgot to tell people at, you know, the three-quarter hour that this is (laughs) WVLP 103.1 FM, and this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. But we're coming to the end of our program, too, so I don't know if there's... Well, let's go to her last line. It's like a whole thought process, honestly. I and maybe you have thoughts about what that means for this particular storyteller, but I was also thinking about connecting it back to our first storyteller 
and how we heard some ambivalence in her. Like she says one thing and then she feels like she has to say the other thing, um, leaving open the possibility that her own choices aren't, or her own way of thinking about this isn't going to make sense for somebody else that's also making a choice. Yeah. So yeah, how did you hear that whole thought process that the hijab is a whole thought process? Yeah, well, because she says it's not just a cloth, it's a whole thought process. And so I think, you know, if we think about it in the context of the first storyteller, we sort of see that whole thought process, you know, as she says, like, you know, for me, I don't see it as more or less devotion to my faith. It's not something that I, I, based on my reading of the Quran, that I feel like is necessary for me to wear. But then she's like, you know, she's like, oh, but I understand why some other people would wear it or, you know if it's drawing attention to me or if it's not. And so I think it is. It's like, it's not just this simple, yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, this is such an easy choice for me. Or it's like, because I'm Muslim, I'm obviously going to wear this. Um, it's like, there, there's more factors at play there. She has to sort of like break down what it means for her. And I think she even ends up saying in the end, like, I'm at a point in my in my life now where I'm always changing myself for what I feel is better. And so I think it's just sort of indicative of that. It's sort of this like it's a, a, a continual revisiting of like what does it mean to express my faith and how do I best do that in you know the way that I feel is right. And so I think we just sort of see based on both of our storytellers, you know, this choice that they've made and the context that they're in and what they feel the hijab represents to them, you know, they have to sort of go through these sort of questions for themselves to decide whether or not they're going to wear it. And so I think that's part of the thought process. It's not just something like, yes, this is obvious, but, you know, does this make sense to me in the way that I feel like my faith is aligned? And I think that's where the thought process comes in. Yeah, and I'm curious, although uh, I'll just leave this as a question for us and our listeners to consider if fashion plays that role outside of religion and the hijabi fashionista movement for us in other ways. Like, is fashion a thought process mm -hmm. for other people? Yeah. And in what context does it become, become that? It's a good provocative question <laughs> to consider. <laughs> So before we head out today, uh, we encourage you to check out WVLP's full schedule of radio shows at WVLP.org. Uh, personally, we highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and is also replayed Thursdays at 2 p.m. and Fridays at 9 a.m. Morning Black stands for Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge, and it focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color with a particular interest in the African-American communities within Western culture, especially the problem of institutional racism. Morning Black provides a platform for discussing the issues and the problems that inhibit equality and justice for the African-American community. 
So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.felpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WBLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wblp.org support.